Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. It is the holiday season, so make sure Leon Tailoring is on your gift list. That's right, get somebody a nice suit, jacket, shirt, tie, skirt, blouse, coat, or perhaps get them a Leon Taylor gift certificate. That way they can go pick out the actual clothes that they want. Hey, like I said, this is the season, the season to give Leon Taylor. It's a perfect gift. Actually, you can kind of give all year round, but we're happy to have you at Christmas time or any other time of year. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. That's Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, and downtown Indianapolis. Well, as we wrap up our end-of-year conversations, we're honored and privileged to be talking to our good friend Kevin Branniger, the outgoing head of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Kevin's retiring uh, early next month. So, Kevin, my friend, first of all, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and um, always, how you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, happy holidays to you as well, Abdul, and um, it's always a pleasure to visit with you and your listeners, and uh, I have so enjoyed um, our relationship uh, over these many years since you came to Indiana, and um, I'm glad to be visiting with you here at the end of this 2023 year. Um, we'll get to uh, your uh, outgoing departure just a bit, but uh, what would you say were the biggest accomplishments for the chamber uh, in 2023? Well, it's a long list. Uh, 2023 was a very important session for the chamber and the business community, and we had victories uh, across many different issue areas. Um, I guess I would start in the tax area with uh, the first bill the governor signed, Senate Bill 2, which allowed um, small businesses, which Indiana's a small business state, that's the vast majority of companies, businesses in Indiana, to um, basically have a work around the, the limit on federal taxes of $10,000 deduction on your state and local income tax. Uh, now, Indiana companies will be able to fully deduct, and that's estimated to save uh, those companies uh, over $100 million dollars in their federal return, so it doesn't hurt the state coffers at all, but uh, it keeps that money from going to what I call the black hole of the federal government. Uh, similarly, uh, our small businesses got tax relief from the acceleration of the phase down of the income tax because those business owners pay their business income tax on the individual income tax returns. So the two together, you're talking about, you know, $200 million or more in tax savings. Uh, so that was good. Uh, the General Assembly also addressed uh, some issues that um, have really bubbled up uh, from our surveys with respect to housing. There's now a, um, a tax credit, or excuse me, a fund established to uh, help uh, pay for infrastructure for new housing developments, particularly focused on our small communities. I think 75% of the money needs to go to those communities. And then uh, child care, uh, we're hearing more and more about that from our members. Uh, and that's, that's uh, unfortunately contributing to the lower than national average um, rate of workforce participation. Uh, and the General Assembly, um, partly at our urging, uh, enacted a tax credit of 50% for uh, any provider or employer that expands child care slots. Uh, and then there was also an increase in, in the On My Way pre-K program. Uh, the threshold, income threshold, was improved. And then in education and workforce, um, we had distributed in the summer of 22, in the fall of 22, a white paper that we called Indiana's Leaking Talent Pipeline that showed all the places where we were underachieving with respect to K-12 education and lifting up the skills of our adult workforce. Uh, and they addressed many of the things that we brought up there in terms of making the 21st Century Scholars Program automatic enrollment, making the, the filing the FAFSA form to find out how much federal aid uh, a student 
student might be eligible for for post-secondary education. Um, a expectation for graduation. Uh, we have a, an energy plan. Uh, we solved a problem that we had with the EPA on air permits where they were threatening to take over the program and businesses didn't want to have to deal with EPA. They'd rather deal with IDEM uh, when it comes to air permits and, and many more things. It was a real high watermark year. Uh, for the chamber and the business community in terms of our legislative advocacy. Uh, one of the big issues that uh, seemed to have popped up this year was the issue of water in Indiana. Yes. <laughs> uh, I never knew water could be something something so common, could be so controversial, but if you think about it, it makes perfect sense to people in, the, in, the, in sort of the water supply. Um, well, I, know I, I, would, I would observe that... Um, uh, issues over and disputes over water have been around for uh, centuries. Um, Mark Twain, uh, upon his return from California, uh, was asked what he saw or what he learned, and he said, well, I learned that whiskey's for drinking and water's for fighting over. Uh, how is Indiana doing with this water supply? I know the Chamber's uh, been looking at this issue for quite a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we produced a study in uh, 2014, a comprehensive uh, statewide study, uh, that broke the the state's water supplies into into three categories. And overall, we have uh, an abundance of water. We're very blessed compared to the western states, which are having real battles and real difficulties in you know places like Arizona and Utah, where there there's population growth. Um, th that study kind of broke the state into three regions: north, central, and south. Um, said the north region had particularly uh, plenty of water, and you know there's a lot of natural lakes up there and things, uh, but needed to be mindful about uh, having too much agricultural use for irrigation. Central part of the state also said at the time there was plenty of water, but that was the area where there was the most population growth and economic activity, and so we would need to plan uh, for future water needs and make sure that we had it in all the places that it was needed. Uh, we've seen activity uh, to add to that supply with, um, you know, citizens taking over the quarry next to Geist Reservoir and uh, just adding significant capacity and ability to move water back and forth. And then in the southern region, uh, the study found that there were some challenges because of the uh, topography. Uh, the, the ground didn't uh, collect and hold water. Um, you know, we have a lot of limestone down there, um, which explains why we have three reservoirs across the southern tier of the state, Brookville, Monroe, and Patoka, and that uh, we would need to monitor that, particularly with any uh, strong economic growth that came with the completion of I-69 from Evansville to Indianapolis. We are in the midst of uh, updating that study. Um, not just focused on the LEAP district, which is, of course, getting all the attention, but statewide. But we will uh, look at that area in particular. <clears throat> We're also going to be in communication and coordination with uh, the Indiana Finance Authority, which is now doing the, the study for the state. So we'll be sharing uh, data and information back and forth. Uh, we think it's important that we make decisions based on uh, what the data say and what the information available shows us rather than on a motion, which is what we're seeing a lot of um, in the media and in the um, particularly in the Lafayette area. Uh, th there's no indication that, um, you know, things are going to dry up if, if that pipeline is or isn't isn't built. Um, but we want to help confirm that. Um, it's interesting because in, in Indiana, um, 
where coal is, coal is transferred, electricity is generated someplace, electricity is transferred. What is it about water that just like, just basically moving water from one part of one part of the state to the other part? I say like it would any other sort of utility commodity. Uh, that's a good uh, good analogy and a good question, Abdul. Um, I think it's um, because um, folks, uh, some folks think that the water that's under their property or in their area um, is theirs, and um, and certainly if you have a well, uh, you know you're you're drawing water from quote your well, um, so it's a little different than than um, a company that produces coal and then sells it and is, you know, getting reimbursed for it being shipped away. Um, and, you know, the same with, and then that, you know, generates electricity. So uh, I, I think it's the mindset that, um, that, that is the differing factor. Our guest on the program today is our good friend Kevin Brenninger, outgoing head of the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. So they're getting caught up on uh, issues this year and also uh, what's in the future and in store for Kevin down the road. I said uh, you've been here for 43 sessions, which would put you about 1980 and some change. 81. <laughs> 81. 81 was my first session, and um, I've seen almost a complete turnover in the members of the General Assembly with one exception. Um, Representative, former representative, now Senator Becker, um, started in the eighty-one session the, the same year I did. But all uh, all the other one hundred forty-nine legislators who were there in nineteen eighty-one have have moved on. Uh, how has Indiana changed um, from the time you got here in eighty-one to the to the legislature to today? Well, I think it's it's much more dynamic. Um, you know, the, the legislature has changed in terms of advances in technology and transparency. Uh, you know, with broadcasting committee meetings. Broadcast- I remember broadcasting committee meetings was a big deal. Oh, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was kind of controversial. Well, you know, and then even the, the, the floor action, um, <clears throat> the, the House in particular could sometimes be a very raucous place with, you know, rubber bands flying around. And, and one year somebody brought in a bunch of uh, clothespins and uh, people were sneaking around cl- clipping them on the back of suit jackets and things. And, you know, it's kind of like the almost like a kick me sign being put on their backs. And, um, you know, that's that's been tightened up uh, because now, you know, you're you're being broadcast to, to folks. It's allowed those um, <clears throat> who want to follow the General Assembly uh, better access. You can, you can watch a committee hearing rather than try to cram in. You know, in standing room only into, into a committee room. Um, you can go back and look at things later, uh, pull them back up if you missed a, a hearing or a floor debate to hear what you know somebody said or what evidence somebody presented. Um, so it's much more f- uh, friendly and open to the public um, and I think more accountable. Uh, you know, I tell people that when I started at LSA in, in 1981, um, there was often you didn't know where conference committees were going to be held necessarily and they could be held in a bar or a hotel room or you know some place outside of the state house and now obviously they're required to be to take place inside the state house and um and be posted and all that now that doesn't mean that the ultimate decision isn't made behind closed doors but um at least you know the first 
um, hearings and things, you know, where they take place. So, and, and Indiana, like I say, has become more dynamic. I think the, the economy is more diverse. We still have a rich manufacturing history, uh, which is, you know, a large segment of our membership. And uh, we're still the most manufacturing intensive state in terms of percentage of employment. Uh, and agriculture is still very important. But, you know, we've advanced in, in pharmaceuticals and even now semiconductors, uh, things that we didn't have in the past. And I believe a lot of that growth and diversity has come from um, the successes of this organization in improving dramatically our business climate, our tax climate, our regulatory climate uh, to really be the, the best place to do business in the Midwest and one of the very best in the United States. Uh, one of the big issues uh, that when, when I came here uh, almost almost 20 years ago next year was daylight savings time. Mm -hmm. The whole thing about changing clocks. And I just remember asking one day, what's why don't you people change your clocks? You could have swore I said there was no Santa Claus because everybody's mother called in with an opinion and a complaint. Do you remember those days? <laughs> oh, I, oh, I sure do. Um, and it was problematic for the business community, and that's why we supported um, enacting daylight savings time. Uh, I used to describe it as death by a thousand paper cuts uh, by the businesses because nobody outside the state knew or cared what time it was in Indiana, except when they when they missed a conference call or somebody didn't show up for a meeting on time or a shipment uh, arrived at, at the wrong time. And, uh, you know, we felt it was important not that the state be all in one time zone because the folks, the counties in northwest Indiana need to be connected to Chicago and likewise those in southwest Indiana. But the entire we felt the entire state needed to be in one time zone all year round whether it be Eastern or Central. And um, a lot of people don't, don't know or remember that <clears throat> prior to the enactment of Daylight Savings Time, we had 10 counties, five around, uh, around Cincinnati, five around Louisville, who observed Eastern Daylight Savings Time illegally because they were connected economically to those large cities on the other side of the Ohio River. And so they kind of thumbed their nose at, at the state and said, this is more important that we be connected and on the same time for people working and traveling back and forth. Um, and, of course, uh, I like to say back then there were no time police that came down there and said, hey, turn, change your clocks back, you know. Um, so uh, those communities were doing what made sense for them economically, and we felt like it made sense economically for the entire state. Uh, and so... Um, that's one of my personal favorites as far as accomplishments <laughs> during my time here at the chamber. Uh, another big issue while I was here in Indiana was also right to work. Mm -hmm. uh, Democrats walked out, uh, basically for 40-something odd days, mm -hmm. some change, went to Illinois. Which, is just a, which, which cost them their majority. Yeah, yeah, which was a big back and forth. Yes, it was. <sighs> um, it was it was a heavy, heavy lift, uh, but one we think important, and it has led to um, – many economic uh, investments in Indiana that, quite frankly, wouldn't otherwise be here. And, and, and countless thousands and thousands of jobs that IEDC has documented that uh, during the years after its initial passage. Because what we found was that uh, there are certain companies that will only locate or only expand in a right-to-work state. And so uh, the site selectors, both those based here in Indiana and outside, uh, consistently told us that 
for new investments, big projects, et cetera, that um, we were missing out on 30 to 40 percent of those projects um, that we didn't even get a chance to step in the batter's box and take a swing at uh, because we got crossed off right off the bat because we weren't a right to work state. Um, and so, and, and it was a particular advantage to become the first right to work state in the Midwest. Um, and now Michigan, who, who quickly followed suit uh, at the end of 2012, uh, when we passed it in, what was it, February of 2012, uh, they've now repealed theirs because they've had a complete changeover in control of their legislature and their governor's office. And when I saw that bill was introduced, I called my counterpart in Michigan and I offered to come up and testify in favor of the bill because of all the jobs and investments and things that would come to Indiana and wouldn't come to Michigan. Um, he thought that was funny uh, and considered a little bit, but thought, no, that might be a little too controversial. <laughs> <laughs> but he got the, you know, he got the point. Um, another big issue uh, that you and I both kind of went through together was the whole RIFRA issue, RIFRA debate. You had to bring that up. Of course. Hey, can't can, can, can be all good news. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was a challenging um, time, and um, I was pleased that the day after Governor Pence signed that legislation and things started to blow up, I, I think mostly because of the the victory picture that was taken in his office that got out. The flying and, nuns. Uh, the, the, is that what's called? Call the Mike Pence and the flying nun picture. Um, and uh, I was with a group of um, association heads and um, CEOs that were in his office the very next day and pointing out the, the problems and the difficulties. And obviously you had you know, threats from uh, pulling out from the NCA and Gen Con and, and, um, and local companies. And fortunately, um, that was taken to heart both by, by the governor and the legislative leaders. And um, within a week of the original passing, we had the, the so-called the RIFRA fix, the RIFRA fix um, which, which ended up with a, a, a more balanced and, and um, approach that was you know, more acceptable all the way around. Um, but that was quite a blow up for about a week. It was pretty intense. Um, but fortunately, it got resolved and, quote, fixed. And, um, you know, we were able to move on. But um, the, um, the lingering damage to our image, you know, continued for quite some time and in some people's mind. And it was interesting. Um, tell you what I think is kind of a funny story is as soon as that passed, I was getting hate mail via email from all kinds of people from all over the country. And in almost every instance, um, you know, they'd say, oh, I'm not coming to your state. Uh, you know, you guys stink or whatever. Uh, I was able to point out to them that they live in a, in, a, in a state that has the same legislation, uh, which they didn't know, but because in this case it you know, blew up and got national attention, 
but but it was um, uh, quite, I'll say, enjoyable to be able to point out to these people that were sending me these nasty emails that you live in a state that has the exact same uh, law on the books. And, and they were, and one of them said, said, oh my gosh, I guess my state sucks too. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Branniger, the State Chamber of Commerce with us, outgoing uh, head of chamber with us for a few minutes uh, on the program today. Um, I, I will say this about the whole RIFRA thing. I did get the first search of cannabis out of it. So, which, which I did kind of tell people, hey, when you do this, you might want to go back and double check the, the language in here because if you've got religious freedom for some people, you've got to have religious, yeah. religious freedom for everybody. So, just an FYI. Well, so. As I recall, there was a, uh, a, law, a lawsuit trying to uh, use that, uh, that language and that legislation to, uh, to authorize. Yeah, but it was a bad lawyer and it was poorly written. That could have done a much better job. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, 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 just FYI. No brag, just fact. No, no, <laughs> exactly. Um, as, as like I said, as you look at uh, how Indiana has changed over the past four years, uh, one thing I've always kind of noticed, uh, particularly when it comes to workforce development and education, because Indiana has such a long history of, of manufacturing that you, you know, you went to high school, okay. agriculture, you went to high school, you know, got your high school diploma, went to work at the factory or on the farm, stayed there for 30 years, retired. Uh, you and I both know those days are long gone and never, ever coming back. But it seems that just certain parts of, of Indiana just hasn't quite grasped that full concept yet. We look at our graduation completion rates, you know, high school dropout rates, and education attainment. Uh, yeah, there are, there are areas of the state where they're, um, they seem to be trying to hang on to the past. And that's, I think, one of our biggest challenges going forward is um, the things that we worked on and achieved – uh, in the early 2000s and even after 2010 of improving our business climate overall, our tax climate, our regulatory climate, those are still important, uh, but they're not as important as they used to be because we're now in what I call a talent-driven economy, and uh, employers, businesses, um, in terms of where to, to locate and grow, uh, we want to know and make sure that, they, that there's a workforce there that has the skills that they need. And when you look at various national state-by-state comparisons, in fact, we just you know, released this week our, our uh, uh, Indiana Prosperity 2035 report card. It shows that we're behind in many key areas. And, and I believe I was asking an interview yesterday, what's the biggest challenge for Indiana going forward? And I believe that it is lifting up the skills of our adult workforce to be able to compete in a knowledge-based uh, 21st century economy, uh, and that includes uh, doing better uh, at the K-12 level. I mean, it is unacceptable and should be a hue and cry that um, only 31% of all students in third through eighth grade um, tested proficient on the iLearn assessment. And then and proficient means minimum uh, competencies to be prepared to go on to the next grade. Um, so that is, is our biggest challenge in, in my view. Uh, I'm pleased that there was a lot of attention focused on that with some of the legislation that I described earlier in this conversation. And there's an ongoing emphasis. You've heard um, the, the speaker in the pro tem talk about uh, additional focus on, on reading and um, on completion uh, et cetera. And that's where we need to, to focus as well as reversing this negative trend of our college going rate, which has dropped from, what, 63% to 
little less than 50% in just six years, um, that's that should be sounding an alarm as well. Um, I know one of the things that uh, the Speaker, Senate Pro Tem, and the Governor actually support is, I want to say holding back third graders who can't uh, pass proficiency, but maybe sort of eliminating some of those exemptions, exceptions, uh, that type of thing. Uh, what's the Chamber's position on that? Well, we, um, I think it's fair to say we're, we're a leader in um, eliminating what we called waiver abuse um, with legislation that also passed the, earlier this year that limits the percentage of students who don't fully meet the high school graduation requirements but were given a regular diploma with a waiver um, to, I think it's 6% for a year or two, and then it drops down to 3%. Abdul, we had school districts uh, in Indiana where we, we gathered the data and looked at it that uh, were giving out waivers to north of 25% of their graduates. Now, that made their, their overall graduation rate look better, but it didn't was doing a disservice to those kids. And uh, so that needs to stop. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what the General Assembly is going to do about third graders who, who don't um, pass I-READ, um, but I think it's an it's important and valid area of focus. Um, I have been married for 33 years to a fourth grade teacher um, who's now retired, and um, she would say over and over, and I'd heard from other teachers, that from kindergarten to third grade, you learn to read, and from fourth grade on, you read to learn. But, of course, you can't read to learn if you haven't first learned how to read. Um, so it really is critical, and it's, it's um, the, the research and the data show that it is a strong, strong predictor of um, high school dropping out uh, if you're not reading proficiently by the end of the third grade. I've oh, got a couple minutes left here. Uh, so what is, uh, apart from uh, workforce development, education, what would be the Chamber's big priorities uh, for your successor? come next year well we're we're following and working with the the fiscal leaders on the um the tax um commission uh we have um commissioned our own tax study and and develop and they were they're going to develop a model that we'll make available uh to the ways and means and appropriation and tax and fiscal policy chairs um, so if they want to try, you know, different scenario and see what that is, and we'll be advocating on that. Another one is infrastructure funding, uh, because right now our uh, highway and road funding uh, resources come predominantly from um, fuel taxes. And so every time somebody relinquishes a gas-powered car or truck and buys an electric vehicle, uh, that's a reduction in revenue to the state to pay for roads and things, even though those electric vehicles use um, the roads and, and do damage you know, to the roads, just like uh, other vehicles. Um, and then it won't be too long in the future that um, we'll have vehicles driving uh, powered by hydrogen. And so how do you fund a road system when you've got uh, these different uh, things? And, and we think that ultimately we'll need to get away from taxing uh, based on the fuel source and, and rather based on how, how far you drive and how heavy is your vehicle. So um, that's a very important long-range challenge for the state and, and something that the chamber will be very involved in because uh, as the crossroads of America, um, our uh, industries, particularly our manufacturers who make things, 
um, need to have a good transportation infrastructure to um, ship their goods out of state, out of the country, uh, and also get their employees back and forth uh, to work every day. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Apart from, uh, apart from a nice long vacation somewhere nice and warm. <laughs> well, um, I, I'm, I'm going to be continue to be attached to the chamber for a year as, as an advisor um, to help our new president and staff as, as much as they want. Um, and then I'm going to be working with um, a board member of ours um, who has a company that does uh, leadership coaching and executive coaching um, to help young uh, managers uh, improve their performance. Uh, and it's my way of paying it forward. Um, I've got some volunteer activities uh, that I'll be working on as well. And um, and then just dialing it back a bit. So whatever happened to that silver jacket you wore at the one chamber? <laughs> still got that? Oh, the, our, 20, our 25th anniversary <laughs> jacket. You still remember that. Um, no, I, I turned that back into the tuxedo <laughs> shop. Um, but I did have a wonderful, wonderful retirement celebration earlier this week. My staff just blew me away. We had um, governor there, the chief justice, uh, the speaker and the pro tem, and family members and, and retired staff, names you would remember, uh, Vince Griffin, Mark Lawrence, Mike Ripley, Bill Waltz. Um, and it was just really heartwarming. Um, kind of send off, uh, if you will, and um, some got some. I got a walking stick from the governor and a, a hat that you know makes you look like you're an admiral or something with all the decorations that are on it. And I feel um, so honored and so blessed to have these important uh, leaders of, of Indiana um, come by and and spend time with me and it's been I, t I told the, uh, the the audience I spoke at the end uh, you know the, the things that the poor kid from the trailer park uh, has gotten to do and the people we've gotten to meet would, were, were unimaginable when I was when I was a young boy you know I've I've gotten to know on a first name basis eight Indiana governors um, many many members of our congressional delegation countless legislators I've, sh I've shaken the hand of a sitting president you know I mean who gets to do that um, as well as um, have a significant uh, lead an organization that has a, had a significant impact on public policy and the shape and the direction of our state uh, and make it a better place to grow businesses um, raise families and, and enjoy all the wonderful things that Indiana has to offer yeah, Marika, my friend, as always, sir, it's been a pleasure chatting with you over the years. And well, I'll probably keep you in the loop just to just to be on the safe side going forward. Oh well, please do, and let's let's stay in touch. And um, it's been a great forty-three year ride uh, working in and around the General Assembly. Um, you know, many friends and and many accomplishments. And um, I look back on it with uh, with great pride. Yeah, Marika, thank you very much, my friend. Happy holidays. You too, Abdul. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.